Father, we are so thankful for the life of God. Thank you because we are in you, we live in you, we move in you, we have our being in you. Holy Father, we just welcome the Holy Ghost this morning. Our Spirit of God, you are the one that makes the kingdom real. So Holy Spirit, light our candles and enlighten our darkness. Give us ears to hear and our eyes to see this morning. Bring us into a closer relationship with the Lord Jesus. Grant me utterance in the Holy Spirit. We give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles uh, to the book of Jude uh, this morning. We began uh, a, a study of that book last week, and I've called it, uh, I said people call the book of Jude the Acts of the Apostates because the, the time it was written, Jude was really writing to deal with uh, some deception that was going on in the church at the time. And we set the background to this last week. Jude was actually the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the brother of James. And uh, if we look at the book of Jude, verse 1, it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. So that's us, because we are called, sanctified, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And the message of God to us is mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Verse 3 says, Beloved, you who are the loved ones of God, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for us for all delivered to all the saints it says contend earnestly for the faith there is the faith the faith of our lord jesus christ the faith that was handed over once and for all to all the saints. As I said last week, the message of Christianity was given to the church at the beginning. It did not come in installments. The gospel or the content of the gospel is fixed. It is not revised for each new era. God continues to reveal to us the depth of the unsearchable riches of Christ, but the content of the gospel, the message of salvation, was delivered to us once and for all completely. We don't revise it. And that's why Paul said, I sought to know nothing else amongst you except Jesus and him crucified. But Jude found it necessary to write because all kinds of things were coming into the church that were distorting the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason we're talking about this today is because like in the days of Jude, so it is in our day today. You know, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says we shall examine ourselves as to whether we're in the faith. Examine yourself, judge yourself, assess yourself. Am I practicing the faith 
of our Lord Jesus Christ or am I involved in the current fashion? It is important that we examine ourselves. This is not uh, an examination of the body of Christ. It's an examination of yourself and your own walk with the Lord. And we see the Apostle Paul going through the same self-examination. And that's why in the, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, I'm not running as one who is doing it uncertainly. I am not fighting like one who beats the air. This is in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 26. He says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So it is possible to preach to others and you be disqualified. Now we're going to examine that in a little bit more depth, not today, but next Sunday. Um, but you know, there is something about being in Christ, but getting to heaven and not being rewarded. There is that. And I'm going to deal with the doctrine of once saved, always saved in a, um, next week. But, but it is possible to um, have run your race and the reward of the high calling of God, you miss out on that reward. Okay? So Paul says that I am in Christ, but I realize that the whole purpose of my Christianity is not just to go to heaven. There is much more to Christianity than going to heaven. Thank God we're in Christ. But there is a high calling that God has for each and every one of us, and we don't want to be disqualified from that. So Paul says, I discipline myself, I examine myself, I ensure that I am in the faith. And the reason why this is necessary is because like in the time of Jude, there is a false gospel that is sweeping the church. There is a false gospel that is sweeping the church and it is the gospel of accommodation. We see this mentioned in the book of Galatians. Let's go to that real quick. This is my quick recap. If you look at the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, I marvel. What does it mean to marvel? I am shocked. I am amazed. So it is possible for Christians and the church to do shocking things. I mean, he's not talking to just one or two people. He's talking to the whole church. He says, I am shocked. I am amazed that you are turning away so soon from who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. They were still having services. They were still getting together. They were still having communion. But when Paul examined what they were doing, they said, no, this is not the gospel. He says, so soon you've turned away from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. That word different there is the Greek word heteros, which means another of a different kind. Another of a different kind, as opposed to alos, which is another of the same kind. So this is not just a flavor, it is totally different. You've turned to a different gospel, which is not another, which is not another of the same kind, but those who but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach another other gospel to you that, than what we have preached to you, let them be accursed. 
As we have said before, so now I say to you, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be a cost. For do I now persuade man or God, or do I seek to please man? For if I still pleased man, I will not be a bond servant of Christ. So this perverted gospel, this another gospel, was a gospel that had at its heart the pleasing of men. Are you with me? The gospel of accommodation. A gospel that has been formulated that would entice and please people who hear it. That is the word accommodate. To accommodate means to adapt or make acceptable. It means to adjust and make convenient. It means to yield to the desire of others in order to placate them. Or put it in our language, a gospel that allows or would attract more offerings, a gospel that would make everybody that come to church feel comfortable with every message. That is called the gospel of what? Accommodation. And he said, I am shocked that you have moved from the gospel of Christ to a different gospel. A gospel that is seeking to accommodate people. It is important that the God of the house is more important. Or it's important to understand that the God of the house is more important than the house of God. If it is like, oh, this is the house of God. Let us make sure everybody is comfortable. Let's make as many people. Yeah, that is good. But the God of the house is more important. So we ought to be pleasing the God of the house and only have those who are happy with pleasing the God of the house to be here. So he says, I'm surprised and shocked that you have moved so quickly to a different gospel. So Jude wrote this short writing saying, it is important that you and I contend for that faith that was once delivered to the saints. We must contend for it. As I said, the word contend is, uh, is the, the middle voice, which means it's something you are doing for your own benefit. It's something that you examine yourself and fight for it. Contend for that faith. Now, it is important to know what that faith is in order to contend for it. Doesn't that make sense? Now, look at verse 4 of, uh, of Jude. Because here, he begins to give us a bit more clarity. Because, you know, the gospel... Of the Lord Jesus Christ is a gospel that would result in us pleasing God in our lifestyle, in our worship, in our messages, where the pleasing of God is the highest priority of our lives. As I said last week, it is a gospel of self denial. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 16 24, if you're going to come after me, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It is a gospel of self-denial. It's a gospel where Jesus is Lord of my life, meaning he is my master. I am the slave of the Lord. I was a slave of darkness, and Satan controlled me, but now I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I belong to him. You've got to belong to somebody. You've got to belong to someone. Okay? 
You don't, you're not independent. You either belong to darkness or you belong to light. And if you belong to light, it means that you're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we should glorify God in our bodies and in our spirits, which belong to God. So what is this gospel of accommodation? In verse 4 of Jude, it says, Now I'm writing you this letter to contend for the faith because of for certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for condemnation, ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at that verse in the New Living Translation, it puts it this way. It says, I say this because some ungodly people have warmed their way. Now, warming their way probably means that, um, you know when somebody warms their way, I was going to say some guys can testify to this about how women warm their way into your lives. I know it's usually put in the other way, right? How men warm their way. But let me, let me, let me because you guys, you know, like to think about that. It's only men that do it. Let me use men as an example. You know how a man warms his way into your life? Yeah? He pays attention to everything you have to say. Even when, you know, other people think you talk too much. He would just like, I'm, I'm available to listen, you know. And then he understands your point of view all the time. He just, he just gets you. You know, in fact, he, you know, he, he really gets me. Yeah? He, he warms his way. The thing that you like to do and no one, he says, you know, it doesn't matter if you like shopping for 10 hours. I'll be there. He warms his way. And by the time he warms his way, when, when he has warmed his way properly, then you will give your heart to him and you follow him where you need to go. Isn't that, isn't that the way it works? Okay. Now he says certain men have warmed their way. So, you know, when it seemed like, you know, your old church, they just seemed to be a bit, you know, a bit particular about things. You know, it was not about the word, the word, prayer, prayer, prayer. These guys, you know, just said, you know, it's not like that. You don't need all that stuff. Yeah, they just hang out and have fun. And it's like, ah, but these guys are spiritual too. I mean, that makes sense, right? At least we're in grace. We're, there's liberty. Uh, he said they have warmed their way. But you see, they are warming their way because they have an agenda of darkness and an agenda of deception. He said there are certain people that have warmed their way into your heart, into your congregation, into your churches. Saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. For they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so you are seeing the gospel of accommodation. It is a gospel that people are proposing that... The grace of God allows us to live immoral lives. Look at the NIV translation of this. It says, for certain individuals, I'll read it to you, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord, of our God, into a license for immorality and deny Jesus 
are only sovereign and Lord. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. The gospel of accommodation. Examine yourself. What gospel are you practicing? Is it the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it a different gospel? If you're practicing a different gospel, it is going to lead to your disqualification. You know, in February this year, um, I was in a meeting, and there was this young man of God, he's a prophet of God, and, you know, he shared some things that when I was preparing for this, this uh, verse 4 reminded me of some of the things he shared. There's a guy called Jeremiah Johnson, very young man, but heavily anointed by God. And he talked about how there was a night he was praying or he had, a, he had a revelation, he had a dream. And in that dream, he was like, um, he was given a mandate, like the mandate that Paul Revere had. For those who don't know American history, Paul Revere was this man who in the 1775s was riding through, um, uh, through the U.S. or through some of the colonies, um, letting them know that, you know, that they were about to be attacked. So he was somebody who was warning people about an impending disaster that was coming or an impending attack that was coming. And this young man said that um, he had this revelation where the Lord was sending him to churches to warn them about the calamity that was going to hit the church if they did not embrace the true gospel. Are you with me? And he said that he and a few guys were on horses and they were riding to different churches. And he said they came across three kinds of churches. Okay? You know a church, a church is not the building. A church is us. So this is like three kinds of Christians or three kinds of congregations, three kinds of people or three kinds of priorities embraced by the church of God. Now, it is important that as we examine ourselves, we identify where we're at. Because you can only repent when light comes. Because repentance means you change your mind, right? And you change your mind when you see something different. All right? So I think this will help us examine the faith and if we are in the faith. So, he said he found himself in three kinds of churches. Or three kinds of people. He said the first church he went to, as he entered the church, on the church um, door was written sleeping church. Sleeping church. So, forget about the building. A sleeping Christian. Yeah? A sleeping Christian. Sleeping church. Okay. And he said when they got into this church... Everyone, including the leadership, were sucking on pacifiers. Do you know what a pacifier is? A dummy. You know dummy that we give children? Pacifiers, yeah? So a dummy doesn't have any nourishment to it. You plug it in your, in your child's mouth to stop the child from crying, right? And it has no nourishment. It gives you nothing. So everybody in the whole church was sucking on pacifiers. So this was a church of babies. And it was a church in which the seeker-friendly spirit, and when I say seeker-friendly, I'm putting it in the context of 
let's just do what everybody likes. What everybody is happy with. That seeker-friendly spirit has come to pacify the church and make it sleepy. So you don't have any cry of intercessors who are praying for the lost. You don't have any cry for evangelism. People who are going out to speak the word of God. You don't have any cry for maturity. Growing up from where we used to be 30 years ago. It was a church of babies and everybody was sleeping. You know, routine can be one of the things that prevents us from identifying when God is absent. What do I mean by that? Where we just come in and do the same old things the same old way and we just feel, well, we are doing what we do. But you know, Christianity is alive. It's powerful. There is a fire in Christ. There is a fervency in the gospel. God has not called you to be a sleeping Christian or for us to be a sleeping church. You know, we talk about Acts chapter 2 verse 42 about being a biblically functioning community and, and the Acts 2.42 believer. How the church continued daily in the apostles' teaching. They continued daily in fellowship, in breaking of bread. People were going from house to house. The Bible speaks about the fact that they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. In verse 47 of Acts 2, it says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The church was being added to. People were being saved. You know, last week, I asked a few people to give some testimonies about their salvation. And everyone that spoke talked about how somebody spoke to them. Hallelujah. A church that is alive, a church that is not sleeping, is a church in which everybody, the church, is sharing the gospel with people in their world of influence. You need to be able to ask yourself the question, when was the last time that I shared my faith with somebody? Now, the answer to that question will tell you if you are sleeping or if you're awake. Because even if you do not understand how to present the gospel, which you should know, but even if you didn't know that, every single person can give their testimony to somebody. You know, I just called these guys up last week and I, I didn't prepare them for it. I called Tony up and said, okay, tell us how you give a life to Christ. And I said, oh, wow. She smiled. She talked about, you know, what happened. Adebola came up and shared. Everybody can share their testimony. You can say to somebody, you know, I don't know what you believe about God, but I can tell you what happened to me. This is how I used to be. This is what happened. This is how I am now. Everybody can share their testimony. If you got up in the morning and you said, Lord, open an opportunity for me to minister the gospel. Before the end of that day, the Lord is going to lead somebody to you that is hungry to have somebody share their testimony with them. This was a church where everybody was being pacified. You know, in Matthew 24, 19, Jesus was speaking about the end times. He was speaking about the things that will happen before the end of the age. 
In verse 19 of Matthew 24, it says, But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. I believe that was a prophetic statement. You see, in the last days, God does not want us to be nursing babies. He wants a church where people are growing. Yes, we'll always have babies, but he doesn't want us to have a church of babies. He says, woe unto those who are nursing babies in those days. It's amazing that every verse that talks about this speaks, says a war. A war is like a curse. It's like, you know, this is not what, you, this is not, I mean, don't pray for this. Let this not be your portion. The preacher in Ecclesiastes said the same thing. In Ecclesiastes 10 verse 16, he says, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes eat in the morning. In the morning when they are meant to be working, everybody is sitting down feasting. He says, woe unto you. Verse 17 says, blessed are you, O land, when your king is, a, is the son of nobles and your priests feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness, the building decays and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. It says, your leaders, your princes are doing things in the proper time. We're not just sitting around. We are doing the work of the king and the work of his kingdom. You know, in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12, this is a verse we all know. You know, thank God for babies. Believe it or not, I used to be a baby at some point. At some point, I actually wore nappies. And my parents changed my nappies. But can you imagine if at 50, I mean 40, I mean 30, something years old. Now I come up and I'm talking about, you know, as I come up on stage here. And I'm speaking. After a few minutes, my mom comes up. And there's a smell in the house. And then she has to take me out and go and change my nappy. You will not be smiling. All right? And spiritually, we're dealing with that. And the Bible tells us what babies are like. It says when they're still murmuring and still grumbling and still backbiting among you, are you not babies? Are you not children? Now, it's okay to be a baby, but at the proper time. And that's why Hebrews 5.12 says, but for though by this time, I ought to know how to present the gospel. If nobody has taught you, you need to find out yourself. Because when you and I get before the throne of God, he's not going to judge your pastor for you. He's going to judge you. You're going to have your own judgment. Stop blaming preachers. Take responsibility for your maturity. You ought to be able to know how to present the gospel. God's creation, Satan's deception, Christ's substitution, Ah, reconciliation. The four steps. You've got to know how to present the gospel. You can present it in five minutes, in seven minutes. You ought to know how to get somebody filled with the Holy Spirit. We should not have a special team to get people filled in the Holy Ghost. I was getting people filled in the Holy Ghost when I was a student on campus. I was getting people filled in the Holy Ghost and teaching them how to get others filled with the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to all believers. He says, by this time, 
by this time, you ought to be teachers. He was not speaking to those who were called to the fivefold ministry. He was speaking to the church. You know, the reason why Jesus gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is to equip us with what they have. He was not looking for a, a building of stars. No, he was giving us specialists to equip us with what they have. You'll be amazed at what you know when you go out and start using it. You'll be amazed at what you know. He says you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Let's go on to the next verse. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the work of right, word of righteousness for he is a babe. Verse 14 says, but solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is those who by reason of what? Use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know, you determine whether you are ready for solid food or whether it's just milk. If all you're drinking is milk, you'll never be skilled. But if the milk that you are given, you are using that milk, after a while, your spirit will start desiring something more, and God will ensure that you receive a lot more. Hallelujah. So you need to be faithful with what you have. You have enough to get people saved. You have enough to get people healed. You have enough to get people filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants us to grow up. He wants us to what? To grow up. He wants us to grow up. A sleeping church. A sleeping believer. Are you a sleeping believer? You know, there was something that God said to Samuel that I found very troubling. Because you know the story he said to Samuel about Eli. You know the story of Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And how, you know, they perverted the ministry and the Lord raised Samuel. And the Lord spoke to Eli and, and basically passed a judgment on his house as a result of the way he acted towards his children. Now, we can look at this spiritually and also physically as parents, but spiritually as leaders and pastors and you know, in whatever leadership capacity you're in. And this is what the Lord said in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29. He said, why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? He was saying that Eli was honoring his children more than him. You know, he rebuked his children, but he said, the way he rebuked his children was, I mean, guys, what you're doing is not right. I mean, they were stealing the offerings, and they were sleeping with women in the, <coughs> in the temple, and their father said, kids, this is just, this is not right. I mean, talk about the, the, uh, the sentence and the, the, the sentence and the grievance. He said, oh, guys, this is not right. So he, he, as far as he knew, he at least told them the truth. But you know, the Lord said, you are honoring the children more than you are honoring me. You are, you are mitigating the, the, your speech because you don't want to offend them. But you don't mind offending me. And I also see this in the raising of our children. I see this in the raising of our children. You know, we, we don't want them to be upset 
So we mitigate the way we speak about certain things. And where we should put down things as, no, you will not do this. We say, well, you know how children are. They don't have, you know, attention span and all this kind of stuff. Meanwhile, God has given you the responsibility of training up your child in the way that they should go so that when they grow up, they will not depart from it. He said, you are honoring your children more than you are honoring me. If we're doing it spiritually, we're causing the church to be asleep. If we do it physically, we're causing the destiny of our children to be in jeopardy. The sleeping church. And of course, when this guy ran into the sleeping church and was speaking to them about what was coming and the fact that they needed to get their houses in order, they kicked him out. Thank God, God is raising congregations in this day that are not going to be focused on changing diapers. And then he ended up in another church called the Street Church. Street, S-T-R-E-E-T. The Street Church. Now, this street church was what is called in our day-to-day the hyper-grace church. Hyper-grace basically says that, you know, we're in Christ, so everything is forgiven, which it is. But it also says, you know, it's okay if you are not uh, walking in righteousness because, you know, the blood of Jesus forgives you of all sin. Now, you know, The Lord forgives us of our sins, and in Christ there is forgiveness. But you know, Paul says that you do not use the grace of God as license for sin. And you know, if you are in Christ, if you are really in Christ, the Bible says that the seed of God abides in you, and therefore you cannot habitually practice sin. If you are able to habitually practice sin with ease, you are not in Christ. Let me say it again in another way. If you are comfortable with a life of sin, you are not in Christ. Because if the seed of God abides in you, we are talking about the divine sperm of God, then that divine sperm will not allow you to habitually practice sin. So a message of grace which does not include a pathway to a transformed life, is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible still says that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. If the destiny of every believer is to be like Jesus Christ in expression, then that means that the pathway of grace It's going to be a pathway that results in us rejecting ungodliness and worldly lusts. If you are embracing a theology that does not reject ungodliness and worldly lusts, you are not in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The hyper-grace church. A lot of people in the hyper-grace church were people whose parents were in legalistic churches before. And you know, they've seen the horrors of legalism. So when they came out of, under their parents, they said, you know what, that is not for me. So they swung from legalism into lawlessness. Or the hypergracers are those who maybe, when they were in university or secondary school, they were SUs and they all had the, you know, I mean, everything was about how you looked on the outside. So when they got delivered from that, 
instead of being delivered to the middle of the road where, yes, you can dress well and, you know, I mean, you know it's about your, your relationship with the Lord, not about your dressing, they've now swung from that to the other side where, you know what, after all, you know, I'm in Christ, so the Lord understands my weaknesses. Are you with me? So they have swung from legalism to lawlessness. That is not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not a, a gospel of compromise. It is not a gospel of immorality. It is not a gospel of backbiting. It is not a gospel of all these di- things that the Bible talks about as being the works of the flesh. It is a gospel where in Christ you are redeemed and through the righteousness and the power of God on the inside of you, you are walking a path of daily transformation. That's why the Bible says in Romans 12 verse 2 that we should not be conformed to the world. We should not let the world push us into its mold, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It says we'll give up our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. The hyper-grace church is a church that embraces immorality under the guise of grace. And also, it is a church and a movement that moves away from the sovereignty of the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way to God for salvation. After all, you know, everybody's on earth. There's got to be so many different ways. For Christians, it's Jesus. For others, it's other ways. That is that is heresy. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said in John 14 verse 6, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't really matter what you feel about it. It doesn't matter if you think it's fair or it's not fair. We're talking about about Christ. And we're talking about the truth. You understand? We're talking about the truth. Okay? I mean, if they're saying that, you know, the only way from Lekki to Ajah is through the toll gate. And you say you don't like it. And there's no other way. And you say, no, there must be another way. And there's no other way. It's the truth. The Bible says, Jesus said that he did not come into the world to condemn the world. But he came so that the world through him might be saved. He's saying that you are on a path to disaster. I am here to take you to the Father. He says, no one can come to the Father except through me. In Acts 4 verse 12, it says, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. So what are we? Are you a street Christian or you are a sleeping Christian? And you know, he said that by the time he got to this church, everyone was mocking him and again they kicked him out. So when he got kicked out, he said, Lord, isn't there any other kind of church? Isn't there any other kind of people? So the Lord led him somewhere. And as he approached this church, on the door, it was written, surrendered church. Or submitted church. Surrendered church. And he said that when he got into the surrendered church. He said what he found strange. Was that at the back of the surrendered church. There was a big hole. Almost like you know you like coming to this church. And then at this back. There's this big hole. This gaping hole. 
And he asked the Lord that, what is that hole at the back of that church? He said that um, this church used to be like the street church, you know, the hyper grace church. And then the church began to preach holiness and the true gospel. And those who were not happy with it ran out of the back. So there was this big hole at the back where the street church had escaped from his church. And then when he looked at this hole, there were people building, blocking the back or some people working hard to cover the hole. And the Lord said to him, I am raising a people who are going to start teaching the apostolic gospel, the true gospel. They are going to lay the proper foundation for the church. And people that are hungry for me are going to be drawn to places like this where they're going to hear the word of God and they're going to be established in the true faith. The surrendered church, the submitted church, where the cross of Jesus Christ is exalted above all else, where redemption of the cross is the central message of the church, the surrendered church, a surrendered people, where the priorities of the kingdom are their priorities. You know, in the book of Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1, we see a prophetic passage. And Isaiah, by the Spirit of God, makes this announcement. And I believe it is an announcement that God wants to resound in the heart of every believer in this day. He says, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, behold means look. It says, look, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles will come to your light." And the kings to the brightness of your rising. You know, we live in dark days. And you don't need to look very far to see the darkness. I mean, I don't know about you, but every time I watch a movie now, or every time I watch television, or I walk down the road, I just see the darkness everywhere. You know, in the old days, you used to be able to look in a different direction. It doesn't matter where you're looking now. It doesn't matter where you're looking. The darkness is everywhere. Okay, and it says, it says, look, the darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But do you know that the light is on the people of God? We are the hope of the world, but it is not the sleepy Christian. It is not the street Christian. Because at best, the light that's coming out of them is dark light. The Bible talks about dark light, doesn't it? It says, if the light in you is darkness, then great is that darkness. The hope of the world is the surrendered and submitted believer. It is from that believer that the light will shine. It is the believer that embraces the truth of what salvation is all about. You know, in the book of Zechariah, I love this passage in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 8. It says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For this 
Seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Jerusalem and um, Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. You know, God is building his church. He is building his temple. He is not compromising on the materials to build his temple. And there are a people that are going to rejoice when the plumb line of God is set in his house. A plumb line is something that determines the straightness of a building. God is building a straight temple, not a crooked temple. He's building a straight temple that is built on the apostles and prophets doctrine, on the apostolic gospel, on the true gospel. It is from that temple that the light of God will shine. It is from those people that the light of God will shine in these days. And the Bible says that there are a people that are arising that are going to rejoice at the building of that temple. There are people whose desire is after God. And they will rejoice to see the holiness and the fear of God restored to his house. That is the submitted church. There is confusion outside. But God is raising up lighthouse Christians. Lighthouse churches. Congregations that he can trust. Christians that he can trust. Remember what happened to Job. God said, have you looked at my servant Job? There are people that the Lord can trust. Hallelujah. That he can trust with wealth. That he can trust with influence. That he can trust with the ear of kings. That he knows that they will not get into their presence and start buckling at their glory. There is a people that is rising that will have the message of God. And wherever God puts them, they will not compromise the word of the Lord. Because they do not seek to please men. They only seek to please almighty God. Those people are rising. And the light of God is going to shine through them in this day. There is a destiny over your life. There is a high calling that God has ordained for you. But whether you and I walk into it. Will be determined by whether we make the decision to choose him. And his pathway in this time. But I see that restoration. I see that day when we cry out for prayer meetings. We don't have two or three people in the room. I see a people responding to that spirit of grace and supplication. That the Lord is releasing on the church. I see a submitted church rising. Who are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It does not matter where you put them. They will speak with joy. They will speak with grace. They will claim the name of Jesus wherever they are. They will stand for truth. That church is rising in the earth today. They will embrace the foolishness of preaching. Which is what God has ordained as the way to get people saved. He's going to use the foolishness of preaching to save the lost. You know, um, when Jesus rose from the dead, because the disciples were all confused, if you look at John 21, Peter had led them fishing. Even though Jesus had said, come follow me, and he had departed from his, uh, his fishing. But when he didn't see, you know, when they were all confused about what happened, he led them fishing. And then, you know the story, you know, they hadn't, they hadn't caught anything. And they saw this guy on the shore who had, you know, made some fish. And he knew it was the Lord. And he ran. Uh, he jumped in and went to the Lord. And the Lord looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? 
He said, do you love me? And Peter said, of course I love you. Then he said, feed my sheep. And it's interesting, when you look at the Greek, Jesus said, do you love me? As in, do you agape me? Um, is your love for me self-given? Do you give yourself to me to serve me completely? And Peter's response was, I phileo you. I like you when you do things that I like. He said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And you know, I believe that the Lord is asking us the same question. Do you love me? Do you love me? You know, my, my kids go to a school in Kenya. And, you know, the Lord, um, long story short, but the Lord sort of led us to that school supernaturally. I know every time, the few times I take my kids to school, I'm always challenged because it is a school that was made for American missionaries in Africa. So everybody, most people in that school are missionaries, all right? And, you know, I'm not a missionary, I'm a pastor, you know. So it's like I'm considered like a second-class citizen, you know. And what happens is every time I go there, I'm always amazed because here are people, Koreans, Americans, all over the world, who move to Africa to be missionaries. And they're not here for two weeks or three weeks. They're here for years. Some of them are second generation missionaries. Second generation missionaries. They move from their country to Africa because they have a burden to share the gospel with people. And you know, I try to engage with some of them when I'm there. So I was sitting next to this guy. And, you know, he's in Kenya. So I said, oh, how long have you been in Kenya? Uh, where are you based? He said he's based in Uganda. I said, oh, really? I'm this American guy. And these guys are well-spoken. They are not people that didn't have a choice. He said he's based in Uganda. And I said, oh, really? I said, how long have you been in Uganda? He said, I've just been there for a week. In fact, I just I haven't got a house yet. I brought my child to school, put him in school so I can go and look for a house. I was like, really? So I said, where are you coming from? He said, for years I've been in South Sudan. And he said, you understand how difficult it is in South Sudan. So we had to escape. So now I've moved to Uganda and I'm working with the refugees that have come from South Sudan into Uganda. So I said, um, so I guess you are part of a missions organization. He said, yes. I said, oh, you must have like a missions uh, camp, you know, like a campus, you know. He said, no, I am, the, I, am the rep, I am the campus. I'm trying to connect with other believers in the area so that we can, we can serve these people. I met another guy. He had a bit of a limp. I said, where are you from? He said, I'm in Burkina Faso. He said, I have to bring my child to this school because it's the cheapest in the area. And, you know, I made the journey. American guy. I said, Burkina Faso. He said, yes. I said, how long have you been there? He said, I've been there a long time. In fact, my missions organization want me to leave Burkina Faso because of the difficulties there. But I insisted that I will stay because of the people I'm serving. And this was not an isolated story. I saw people who were giving their lives to the Lord to serve him. You know, as I got on the bus to go back to Nairobi, the Lord said to me, do you love me? These people, were demonstrating their love for Jesus by giving their lives for him. You know, the heroes of the faith are people that
that you probably will never see on this side of eternity. But heaven knows every single one of them. I believe the message of God to us this morning, he's saying to us as a people, as a congregation, as individuals, do you love me? If you love me, feed my sheep. Serve my lambs. Embrace my gospel. Let me be Lord of your life. Let me allow, allow me to shine my light through you. Give your life to me. Let me be glorified through your life. Jude said, I found it necessary to write to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. This is the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. I make a determination that this church will be a submitted church. But you need to make a determination for yourself that I will be a submitted Christian. I don't, I don't care what everyone else is doing. As for me, heaven will see that my light is clear. I submit my need to the Lord. I submit my life to the Lord. I can only do what his grace empowers me to do. But I'm going to press into that grace. Because I cannot help myself, but he will help me. Okay, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Aha. Uh -huh. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. I, I, I just see in my spirit this morning. I see like a, a jar of water and I see where nourishment is being given to the weary. If you are here and you have gone through a time of weariness, I just want you to lift up your heart to the Lord because the Lord wants to help you. He wants to fill you again. It is not by might nor by power, but by the very spirit of God. He says, without me, you can do nothing. But when you come into union with me, you will bear much fruit. Just open your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, I surrender all to you. I open my heart to you, Lord Jesus. I open my heart to you, Lord Jesus. Where I have become weary, help me. Sustain me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.